0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Irish jazz musician, educator, and broadcaster, Lindley Hamilton. For a long time, he's been one of the most influential figures involved with jazz in Ireland and the UK. As a musician, he is at the top of the list when it comes to collaborating with a horn player for a recording or live performance. He has appeared on albums with Van Morrison, Paul Brady, Jackie Dankworth, and so many others. His passion and dedication to jazz is evident on all fronts, and we dig into his latest projects, career, and hope ahead. Enjoy. Hi, Joe. Hi, Lindley. How are you?
1: I'm very excited to be talking to you, man. I'm actually in a recording studio, which is the most wonderful, wonderful thing, with a really professional engineer who's la- actually making my life really, really easy. <laughs> I mean, I've never been in the studio situation with somebody that actually makes you feel that, you know, she's carrying all the pressure of the world off you and you just actually play. She's, she's so forgiving and uh, it's just a magic, magic experience.
0: Anyway, how are you getting on? Oh, I'm good, man. Yeah, we all need someone like that in our life, for sure. We sure do. <laughs> man, alive. Yeah, everything's good. I'm, I'm, one, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you as well. I'm so glad that Dominic got in touch with me. I love this, this Ireland connection. So, man, thank you. Um, no problem. And, and, and I know you have so much going on in your life. So what I want to and ask, first and foremost, your latest release, Making Other Arrangements. Is no, but the, the latest release
1: is actually for the record. Okay. Uh, so, for, so it was kind of weird that the, for the records, the latest released. We did making other arrangements in twenty eighteen, but somebody picked it up because for the record had a big run in America. Gotcha. And they decided because because making other arrangements hadn't been released, so it was recorded in twenty seventeen and and put out in twenty eighteen, and 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 for the record was recorded in twenty twenty. Okay. And put out in, oh, hang on. For the record was, was recorded and put out in twenty twenty. Yeah.
0: So I guess my question is this, with new material coming out right now during a pandemic, talk to me a little bit about your feelings. I mean, we haven't been able to do live music. It's a very, one of the few ways you can reach your fans. Talk to me about your feelings on this release.
1: I, I, I just think we have to be positive whenever there's any situations that come on. People have always survived, you know, and music will always survive. And I think if one thing the pandemic has taught us is that we actually need music and we need creative people to, pull us out of these situations and I think you know there's a great time now to focus uh, focus on practicing on writing on this new way that we can communicate with People across the world by zoom or by recording in your studio and sending it to somebody else and sending it back i know it's not the same thing as before but it's a new way of creating it's a new way of collaborating and i think those are things that are going to have a positive impact i i think you know this idea of virtual ensemble or writing and sending somebody their part across the world and them sending it back an hour later is something that's going to stay with us now I think it's making the world a smaller place it's making the connectivity between musicians much bigger and I think that's a really important thing because if we think that Library Stable Blues was the first uh, published output audio or record uh, in 1917 the first jazz record and we're only really 104 years on and the progress that jazz has made in that time I think the whole socialization process of when gramophones happened around Louis' time in the nineteen twenties and eventually the situation we're in now with Spotify and and the internet and internet and digital radios and you can you can record your album and you can upload it from your phone and you can send it all over the world in thirty seconds. I think there's a socialization process that's going on and we can we can bring our cultural heritage with us whenever we're writing and we're playing and we can share that with somebody from a different cultural heritage and a different method of socialization so i think like all things you have to see the opportunity and the misfortune and i think we go forward now in a braver world where we're not afraid to connect and we have a bigger reach with our music and i think we
0: celebrate that you know it's interesting i i kept thinking during this pandemic if there was any group of artists that were totally cut out for this. It's improv masters in the jazz world. And I really do feel like the world and the community of jazz is only going to get stronger, not only with their voice, but their general acumen of what they can do because of this.
1: I agree. And I think... I like to think of music as a team. I don't think we're just dealing with musicians. I think we're dealing with producers. I think we're dealing with radio. We're dealing with critics. We're dealing with magazines. And we're dealing with the community. And one of the things that I find... Uh, whenever I play live is that I think whenever people say to me who was in the band I don't really think of it that way I think of it as the band as part of the room and once you get the room then the punters are in the band because you're relying on the energy that they're feeding off so I think that's something that's really exciting, um, and I think that's something that's going to continue. I think as a result of this digital impact, because we're going to reach more people. People are seeing more music; they're seeing this activity that's happening; they're hearing it, and they're they're becoming better. Uh, Their understanding of the music that we're creating is better. So I think it's I think it's something that's, that's positive.
0: Absolutely. So you clearly have a very deep love of jazz between you know broadcasting and being a musician and everything that you've done. How did the seeds of jazz get planted in you? Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and the beginnings of this love of jazz. It was
1: it, Well, it was very, very uh, lucky. There was a festival in Belfast, Belfast Festival or Queens Festival, and they used to have a fairly good... Uh, sort of jazz delivery at it and there was uh, a couple of really great people at it that, that, that did workshops so they would they would play in the workshop environment they would uh, they would play in that workshop environment and they would create uh opportunities for young players to play so that was one of the first things gordon beck trio i think was one of the bands richie uh richie barrack was over uh, and i got a chance to sit in and be inspired by watching them and then there was a youth jazz orchestra whenever i was about 19 for about three or four years and that was taken by a guy called bobby lamb who spent some time in the woody herman herd and came over to to sort of uh, peach and clay in London and you know those are things where of course it's just, it's amazing because then you're being exposed to the other guys music and the other young fellas bring their bring their CDs or their tapes I think it might have been and they put them on the coach whenever you're driving to the gig and uh, you certainly start falling in love I can safely say that the most inspirational and life changing moment for me though happened uh, at Cork Jazz Festival I was about 22 and the great Red Rodney Sullivan Quintet you <laughs> Uh, were playing and it was Red Rodney Trumpet, Ira Sullivan on Flugglehorn, Sax and Flute uh, Gary Dial who's still with us on piano, Jay Anderson he's still very much with us on bass and uh, Jeff Hirschfield on drums and I, I brought their vinyl copy of Sprint and I, I came home and I put it on and I hadn't really listened to jazz records of that kind before um, I was kind of Dixieland and big band stuff so I, I put this on and I thought it was amazing, I think I played side one and then I flicked on to side two and came across a tune called How Do You Know which was an original of theirs and then this other masterpiece which is 11 minutes and 32 seconds long was the most significant bass solo in jazz history in my opinion at least it it has been for me by Jay Anderson and it was a version of Herbie Hancock's Speaks Like a Child and it was live and I can still sing you every single note by every single instrument I think I played that track for about five months without replacing uh, without playing anything else I still know it off by heart and in terms of motivic development and all the things that we steer our improvisations by now it was there, it was in that melting pot, the creativity, the magic of the arrangement, the dynamic contouring within the band uh, the individual baton handing on from instrument to
0: instrument and I was hooked and that was it, Wonderful. still am Well, and, and, you know, you've had a pretty illustrious run. You've been around the likes of Jackie Dankworth and, and Van Morrison. What have you learned from being around, you know, legends and luminaries and big shots that have in turn not only helped you as a musician, but you teaching younger cats that get around you? okay it's a
1: fantastic question uh i've i've been very lucky yeah with the people that have been around and what i find is regardless of what the press say about them these people are genuinely caring about the product the product being the music they don't want to punish you they don't want to make your life difficult they want to make your life easy they want to tell you what the what they want you to do um and and they want to uh, to, to make it as easy for you to play as you possibly can that's that's the first thing I would say so they they don't damage your confidence they don't damage your morale uh, they celebrate with you whenever you have a victory in their music you know that's, I've always found that even my own current band was, uh, with Adam Rispom and, and Mark Egan uh, on drums and bass you know there's no sign of competition or, you know, uh, you've made a mistake and that's it, we're out of the band. You know, there's nothing like that. It's a caring blanket of love and support. Uh, they have nothing to fear for me. Um, so I think that's the one big thing that I try and bring forward into the teaching. You know, I'm an academic, I'm a doctor of jazz, so doctor of jazz performance, so I have a lot of learning in depth about sort of what happens in uh Whenever you analyze solos and what great players are doing, um, and, and how you make the musicality attached to it. So, stuff like, for example, uh, dynamic contouring. So, how you reinforce the message of tension and release by dynamic contouring, you know, from loud to soft. How you create not just the narrative of a solo, which is maybe 64 bars long, but maybe the narrative of the lines within that solo. How, whenever you're improvising, if you're, people talk about, you know, what a lyrical player is or what lyrical playing is. And what lyrical playing is, of course, is whenever you're playing in a conversational way. So if you're playing, if you think of your solo over 62 bars, 64 bars as like a paragraph, well, you're not going to start and beat one because, you know, the melody or the previous solo has finished, so you have to give the punters or them, space, having finished before you put your indentation which is your first paragraph sign, your space for your first note, then you're going to have a narrative of those lines, you're going to have intensity you're going to have dynamics, you're going to have peak you're going to have repetition of ideas you're going to have development of those repeated ideas, all of those things that you would have in a conversation, the sentences are going to be of a different length the gaps where the full stops or exclamation marks would be are going to be a different length, you're going to have st- the tension created by intervallic patterns and those intervallic patterns are going to be resolved into smaller uh, you know, linear steps like a semitone or a tone so all of that stuff is going on and you're able to pass that knowledge on and pass on the patience of the product so you're kind of saying your development isn't a race what you, what you crave for is to sound a certain way, you know uh, in, the, in the future, in three or four years' time. But the process of developing along that way uh, isn't something to be ashamed of. It's to be celebrated. You have to enjoy making the mistakes. You have to enjoy learning from those mistakes. You have to enjoy, you know, uh, an experience where you're maybe not the strongest person on the stage. Uh, you have to enjoy and be patient in your development and embrace all of those things because the the fun is in the learning. And the skills are, are, are kind of transferred as you get older.
0: So you balance, you know, being a musician, an educator, and a radio host. How do all of these come together to ignite and motivate you every day you wake up? What do you look forward to the most? <sighs>
1: well, you know, that's a really great question. I think what I look forward to the most is the variety. Uh, my life is really interesting, you know. And and if I'm practicing for three or four hours, you know, if, if that's the only thing you're doing, you have to find some way of down timing, whether it's walking or or watching something or reading something before you come back to it again. Um, but if you're teaching as well, well, then you've got that variety of the preparation of the lessons. I do. I supervise a lot of masters and, and, and PhD and, and final years of degrees, so you're really doing specific supervision in terms of presentation of research. Search, and that's kind of mentally involving you know and you're learning every time you do that and you keep transferring that skill and then the broadcasting gives you a chance to balance the articulation of the knowledge which you have so you might hear maybe something in seven and you might hear something where for example somebody's developing an idea using triad pair substitutions you've got to you've got to balance how you tell the punters that so you aren't, you aren't turning them off you've got to find some kind of way to create the magic and the passion um and to articulate it in a way that they can digest it. And, and sometimes you're just talking not just about what the music is or how the music's formed, but how the, the music makes you feel. And I think sometimes we can forget that that's the most important thing because it's not just how it makes us feel whenever we play, which is very, very special, but it's that translation to what the people are hearing, you know, whether it be through your radio show, whether it be through your gig, or whether you're really, really lucky enough lucky enough in a performance class when you can create the environment where that student steps up another level. They hear that and they don't want to go back. So it all kind of ties in and the passion transfers across for different reasons. I'm one of these lucky musicians who realises that I'm not the best in the world. And I know because I have an enormous record collection and some of my favourite trumpet players are still alive and I'm in awe of them whenever they play. And I don't feel humiliated, I don't feel bitter, I don't feel sad. Uh, I feel it's a wonderful thing to hear their music and it's a wonderful thing for them because they are mentoring me through their records. And I'm trying to mentor people through my records or through my performances or in the classroom. And I I really get excited whenever I see somebody who I know is going to be better than me in 10 years time.
0: After all of these years of wisdom that you've accumulated being a professional in the world of jazz, if you have a dream tonight of running into your younger self around the time you were getting ready to become a professional and do your first gigs, and you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, I think... It's uh,
1: enjoy it more, and uh, take the defeat slightly. I think if you're, I think if you're in a situation where you're playing jazz or you're improvising, you know you're always going to have situations where you come off the stage and you've had a bad experience. Whether you just haven't brought your A game to the party, or whether you thought you were better than you were, and somebody comes in and uh, you. You can't. You feel yourself shrinking on stage, as you have been, you know, demoralized by by where you really are in the race. And I think the big thing is to not think of music like that. Music isn't a victory. It's not a battle. We're not trying to win. I think. I think that for me, uh, there's a difference between achieving success. achieving victory I think if you achieve victory then there's a whole lot of losers and I think if you achieve achieve success then everyone's a winner and you have to try and make it work work that way because if you don't then you're going to alienate the audience you're going to uh, demoralise the younger players and I think I think we have to think of ourselves as a team, whether we be broadcasters, producers, musicians, educators, uh, engineers, uh, critics. Uh, what We're all in this together for the jazz, for the music, because we know what it does to us individually. So we should want everybody else to feel that. I know whenever I walk into a studio with an engineer, um, who's as good as the one I'm with now, uh, you know, I, 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 respect them very, very much. I'm not there to tell them how to suck eggs. You know, they've been doing it. That's their thing. Um, and our goal is to create the best product at the end of the day by working
0: together. So if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any jazz musician, who are you going to go see and who would you want to talk to when they get off stage? Oh God. Uh,
1: I I, I know everybody would think Louis because Louis was the father uh, of the jazz. I think the one person I would want to see at his peak, because he wasn't always at his peak, the one person I'd want to see at his peak and to talk to him and to thank him uh, for his influence is Freddie Hubbard. Mm. He's, he's, he was the man for me, you know, that had uh, the capacity to change the way you felt by the way he played. And it's funny, uh, it, it wasn't just with his mad, mad bebop lines and hard bop playing, you know. Uh, it was even if you think of his playing in Zanzibar by Billy Joel or his album Ride Like the Wind with Mini Orchestra. You know, and you hear that just expressive capacity to cut across whatever the genre is and superimpose himself. Oh, my God. I love Freddie.
0: Yeah. So you, the one thing that's been very key about this year away is that we've obviously had no music in As the world starts waking up and we return and things in 2021 are going to inevitably get better with vaccines and just the natural flow of us getting away from this pandemic. When we do return to the stage, what do you hope both musician and the audience realizes or relishes about live music? Well, I think it's it's I
1: think it's the live music itself. I think it's the fact that we are celebrating the creation of something in the moment that has been prepared for. We're, what we're doing is creating a music that isn't really being copied by someone else. We aren't wanting to play solos that were on our record. We're wanting to play something fresh every time. We need them to be part of that experience to create that new environment for us. I think one thing I would love them to think is that we're all part of the music and we're all part of the team. I would hope that the critics uh, would... Ease off, uh, placing people in order and and coming up with all time top tens and things like that, and just enjoy the experience and encourage the new people because the people who are making jazz now are making it in the in the environment of texting and Facebook and Jammer and all these different things that are happening and they've probably got a very much shorter attention span than somebody in the 30s or 40s who were, uh, who had a record player in one room and that was it, Occasional Electricity and their horn. You know, there's a different kind of focus but there's also the celebration of the fact that all of the music is kind of melding and it's harder to box and I think we just give people a break and let them make the music and support it.
0: So everyone has their perception of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, your students, but ultimately you're the one that's guiding the vessel. You're living your life. Who do you think you are?
1: Uh, I think I'm somebody who is content that I made the right choice. I, I used to be a civil engineer. Uh, and I gave up civil engineering to be a musician. I wasn't chasing the money. I was chasing the addiction of the feeling that I was getting from playing. And I think I'm somebody that wants other people, whether they be students in particular, uh, or whether they be fans, or whether they be listeners, I want them to have the light shone on what is special to me about the music. And I want them, hopefully, to feel the magic. There's a, there's a record I, I got recently because I, I, I lecture and have singers in the, in the group and it's a, it's a record by a lady called Leanne Carroll L-I-A-N-E Carroll C-A-R-R-O-L-L and she did a jazz version with a big band which uh, you wouldn't know was coming in for about a minute and a half. There's no sign of it coming in. Uh, it's just piano and vocal at the start. Um, and it was a version of Mary Gautier's Mercy Now. Uh, so it's a combination of the message of the song and the dynamic of the delivery. And, you know, I I think I could heal the world by forcing everybody to listen to that song. Right (laughs) on. once.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's a great answer, man. Lindley, this has been refreshing. It's been wonderful to catch up with you. Good luck with the material and getting back on the live stage. And I look forward to hopefully catching up with you here in the future to talk some more about music.
1: I hope so, Joe, anytime, and all your listeners, just keep enjoying yourselves, just keep enjoying the music, and feel that you're part of a musical family, because you are.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Ireland, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Lindley, it was a pleasure to hear all of those wonderful stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe D'Amino in the iTunes store. Visit neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz